This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Sometimes people surprise you and they know awesome trivia things and have awesome one-liners to throw away. So I've got this colleague um, where I currently work and she's recently elevated to partner. And by the way, in law, you don't say promoted, you say elevated because we have to make up our own language because <laughs> we're all insecure about being pointless. Um, and in any case, she's super smart and interesting because she's one of those people who has surprise hobbies, right? And one of these hobbies is interesting board games. So Shag, you know, like Settlers of Catan is the interesting board game. This, you know, the one that's mocked in Parks and Rec is the Cones of Dunshire. Um, and you might've heard of things like whatever it's called, Catalan or whatever. The one we're enjoying at our house at the moment is King Domino. And she's talking to me about board games. And it's, and it's interesting because whenever someone's passionate about something, you're like, yeah, yeah, cool, tell me more. And she said, um, oh, look, it's just so much better than the previous generation of games. You know, if you think about Monopoly, and I was like, oh, sick, let's like throw down to Monopoly. She's <laughs> like, yeah, look, it's widely acknowledged as a shit game. And I'm like, oh, let's have some expertise reasons, you know, that back up why Monopoly's annoying. She's like, yeah, it's basically a game that you feel like plays itself. And I was just like, oh, what does that mean? And she's like, look, you just roll the dice and whatever the dice say, is wherever you land and you've got to do, you know, whatever the square says and you're not really playing Monopoly, it's playing itself. And it was this thrilling takedown, Shag, because you're a sibling, I'm a sibling and you've had those childhood experiences. I think there's an incredible spark of insight in that and I think that's so true because I've always hated Monopoly and I think you've played Monopoly with me back in my more unstable late <laughs> teens, early 20 days when... I, if I wasn't winning, I would just go silent for the rest of the week and not speak to you. And I, I emotionally thought that was fine as most early, you know, 20s, late teen men do. As we say, never be a late teen, early 20s man. Never. Just don't. It's just, it's, 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 the worst good advice. it's just don't be that person. But I realized recently, and I think she's articulated it quite well, is the problem with Monopoly is there's no justice it's purely random it's purely chaotic so me winning or me losing is based on a dice roll and yet if somebody is winning they're like check me out just build hotels and it's like, Mr. Businessman. It, it truly is monopoly is a really good representation of life because if you're doing well you're having a great time and you lord it over other people like somehow you deserve it 
And if you're doing terribly, you hate the fucking game and you think the other people are fucked and, but you can't quite explain why. Like in that sense, Monopoly is probably the truest, most perfect game. If games are supposed to be a distillation of real life in a simplified, you know, hour, couple of hour long form. And it turns out that Monopoly is the real game of life at the end. That's the <laughs> twist. <laughs> you know, that and Mousetrap are two classic examples of board games that looked great. Yep. You wanted them for Christmas because they yep. looked sick. And then when you actually set them up, you realize they didn't really work. Nobody wanted to play them. And you went back to playing the games that you got used to. But yeah, I agree. I think, I think the, the current crop of games are amazing. I would co-host with you a King Domino podcast where we just talk about King Domino strategy and whether Queen Domino is really a different game or is an amplification of King Domino, it'd be sick. As, as I, you know, as my being a parent continues and will continue till I die, because now yes. I'm a parent, and more and more I'm like, wow, that's weird. Being a parent <laughs> is one of the only things where you start and just never finish. Can't quit. You know, it, can't it's, it's so crazy but more and more i'm realizing that you know with golden child i'm going to have to start finding things that we enjoy together and they can't all be just things i like and it's like <laughs> by the way you like this too now is king domino one of those games where even if you're playing with kids there's enough strategy to feel meaty and that you know like you can get into it yes is the answer to that but you just reminded me of you know how The Onion have somewhere between five and 20 utterly perfect headlines, like completely shining, shining ones? So I'm going to step in. Like you often mischaracterize me as a copywriter, which I haven't been for a while, but I was at one point. And I will regulate, like I think copywriting in ads is atrocious. I think most copywriters uh, only do play on, like I, I, fuck, I hate plays on words that don't mean anything. I hate the fact that every headline has to be a play on words, which is so ridiculous because no one gives a shit except other copywriters. I do believe the best copywriting on the internet is at theonion.com. What they can fit into a headline conveys more and does more than what most people can do with like paragraphs of long copy. Anyway, sorry, continue. With Golden Child, you're managing the risk of one of the perfect Onion headlines of um, dad successfully teaches daughter to love talking heads vinyl, semicolon, alienates from friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as perfect of like, yeah, you will like what I like. And, you know, um, it turns out all of my children really like cricket shag. It's just such a pleasant surprise. <laughs> but back to Monopoly, right? So okay. all right. it's almost... Which we, uh, and, and, and of course, back to Monopoly on this you know, getting your, your, your horror films podcast. Yes, let's, let's go, let's go, let's do this. I'm excited to see how this is going to weave into today's film. Yes, get ready. So it's almost as if we already know before we start Monopoly that we're going to hate it and be pissed off. Like if you and I agree to play Monopoly now, there's almost a like, well, we're just about to have an awkward pissed off time. It's going to be shit. And like we're agreeing, right? We're leaning into having a shit time together. And to me... But, but, but Monopoly is truly like life in that chances are life won't work out the way you want it to and chances are it'll be slightly worse than you thought it was going to be. It'll still be great and you'll have fun along the way. 
but it just won't be that thing you thought it was going to be. And the people you're friends with at the start won't be your friends at the end. You know, that's just life. I've started to get weird friend requests from people who bullied me in high school. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what, what do you think this is? How does this work? How does this work in your mind? What, where, where's this going to go? But so, right, the point of playing Monopoly is to have a shit time and get pissed off with everyone. And I was like, well, how, how far is that from horror films? The point is to get uncomfortable. The point is to almost expect and hope to be made as uncomfortable as possible. Hopefully with a couple of spikes of excitement along the way. And when someone lands on fucking Pentonville Road Station or whatever it's called, Fenchurch Street, you get a little stab of like pleasure or excitement or whatever it might be. But basically you have a shit time and it's a dumb thing to do. And I sort of feel like horror films, basically you have a shit time and it's a dumb thing to do, but there are stabs of excitement along the way. I think that's an excellent analogy and I'm going to get there in just a second. But uh, last week, uh, our little fam, our beautiful little fam went on holiday, but I was sick the entire time. And uh, so we basically just stayed indoors. And one of the things we did was play Monopoly. But the version of Monopoly that was at the house we were at was this weird Australian Monopoly. But it was this Australian Monopoly that was made 10 years ago in a slightly younger internet where people voted on what they wanted each of the places to be. But clearly, South Australia voted the most. So the two <laughs> most expensive, the two most, yeah, the two most expensive properties on the board were Adelaide and the Barossa Valley, which as we know, is probably not true in real life. But anyway, so they were the two most expensive places on the board. It got to this point towards the end of the game where I needed, I, I think I had the Barossa Valley. I needed Adelaide. I convinced Adele to sell me Adelaide. And she only did this because she's thinking, well, Adelaide's clearly not the most expensive piece on the board. Adelaide's some shit heap down the bottom. Of course, I'll sell it to you. I bought it, immediately built hotels. She was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then obviously, like all games of Monopoly, it ended with us not being super happy with each other. So you had a shit night afterwards. You're like, mm-hmm, no, good to play. Oh, Look, it wasn't a shit. It, it wasn't a shit night afterwards. But Monopoly always st- like like life. Monopoly always <laughs> starts with the best intentions <laughs> and then just chaotically fumbles its way to the end. And this is the best. Anyway, but anyway, but anyway, I wanted yeah. to get back to that analogy. So perfect analogy and so fitting for today's film. So a very recent film today. In fact, this film was in theaters when the lockdown started hitting. So they rushed it to home. Uh, I was about to say home video. It's like, you know what I mean? They rushed it to all the streaming services where you can rent it. Um, I've been wanting to see it for a while and uh, had the op- we had the opportunity to do it this week because I'm still sick. So we're just sitting at home and it's like, what are we going to do? Let's watch a film. Mm. And what's interesting about this film, and I got to give like a bit of a, like this is a genuinely serious trigger warning because this film uses domestic violence and like a pretty like not like perfectly real but a pretty typical domestic violence relationship as a way to create tension and dread and on the one hand it's incredibly effective but as we were watching it i think both of us were like is this cool like can you do that like is this is this fine like yes this is chilling yes this is dreadful but is this cool i don't know so today 
we are doing a film by a director who, and pretty much the only director you've never started beef with because he's Lee Winnell, who was originally from Recovery, and he made it through all of Dylan's jibes to become one of the most successful young directors in Hollywood today. Uh, today we're doing The Invisible Man. Fuck Lee Winnell. Are you okay? Someone sitting in that chair. It just doesn't make any sense. What? Adrian wouldn't kill himself. <laughs> Listen, we're getting your freedom back, okay? Don't let them haunt you. Hello? I'm scared. You don't have to be scared of him anymore. He was a sociopath, completely in control of everything. He said that wherever I went, he would find me, walk right up to me and I wouldn't be able to see him. So a couple of things about uh, The Invisible Man that we're doing today. Number one, I want to say thank you to everybody who voted in our poll on uh, Spooko Instagram. If you don't follow us, please follow us. Uh, we, gen- we just, when we release an episode, we tell you. So it does that, <laughs> number one. So that, that's, that's the main value. Pro- if I'm going to use the marketing parlance, mm. parlance, 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 I do. Parlance. If I'm going to use marketing parlance, the, the value, the customer parlance. value. Sorry, prop sorry. Is I'm the- interrupting. Fucking, I'm so sorry. Oh, shit. I'm ruining it. <laughs> you are ruined. <laughs> so the customer value proposition is the fact that you can find out about when Spook goes on. But every now and then we do invite you to help us decide. And one of the things I put like a list. Shag, do you want to explain that sometimes we goof around and sometimes <laughs> I goof around and do just silly Instagram stories as well? I think you do that. I think you do that when I'm just saying something fucking boring. So I'm just going to keep moving on. But basically I asked, I had a poll and I was like, what sort of film do you want to see? Do you want us to chat about this week? Uh, do you want something gory? Do you want something with ghosts? Do you want something from, you know, very recent? Or do you want like a 90s slasher film? Now, when at, at the time, yes. a film from like this year or, you know, the last year was leading. Now it's not. Now ghosts <laughs> are far leading. So next week, we're going to do a film with ghosts. This week, we are going to do this film. So first of all, thank you everybody for voting on it. Second of all, um, a couple of episodes ago when we had Ruby on the show and I talked about, you know, what are the things that straight away you're like, I don't care in a film. When it comes to a bad guy, if you were just like, this guy turns invisible, I'm like, I don't, I Ugh. don't, I like, I aggressively don't care. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm more than ambivalent. I'm whatever, like, am, like, and I'm an aggressive form of ambivalence where I'm up in your face being like, I don't care. And yet, Peach, you'll see by the end, this film is actually pretty magnificent. There's an element as well with invisibility. It's like, imagine being invisible. <laughs> it's like, like what? Like, what on earth? It just means you can do less. You can have less of an impact on the world around you. And, you know, it's like, oh, imagine the things I'd see. And it's like, surely in the age of the internet, if you want to see things, you can use, like, for the last 25 years, you've been able to search for them. And like, you know, if you want to see people in the nude, like you can go and find them. And and actually that's a good point. Now it's beyond that you can see anything that exists. You can create things that don't exist very easily. So invisibility just lets you see things that exist. And as we all know, we've seen that all now. Like we're (laughs) done with that. 
<laughs> in a post-structural a world. Why. Exactly. Exactly. It's like postmodernism was like 40 years ago. Like dude, Roland Barthes is in the room being like, guys, death of the author, death of invisibility, preach, spooko. So how they circumnavigate that, I used the I got the word wrong. How they get around that is by what is my word? Uh, like they're just in a weird way. Like I I'm not an explore. I'm not, I'm not a boatsman talking about, you know, talking about my weekend voyage around, you know, St. Bart or whatever. But, okay, so basically the premise of this is, okay, yeah, maybe the Invisible Man isn't that scary, but what if the Invisible Man was an abusive husband who was using the power to get back at his ex? And straight away, you're like, number one, super problematic, but number two... That's really scary. And this, this is up there with one of the more chilling, disturbing films I've seen in a long time. But it does it super well. And it features our fave person, Lizzie Moss, star of Eyes Up. Is she our favourite person? She, like, she, like, uh, like, I get she's, she's a Scientologist. Scientologist. Yeah, but, like, the thing Do about Scientology... Are you, like, are you cancelled if you're a Scientologist? I, I've sort of, lost, no. I've sort of lost, lost grip on that. All right, so so so, uh, just recently, uh, a whole bunch of authors, including J.K. Rowling, wrote this big open letter to be like, "Stop cancelling people." <laughs> and it's like, I I'd be down with that, like, and I'm kind of down with that letter anyway. I agree with it, but I'm not down with J.K. signing it because yeah. it's like, oh, it's like guys, like now, now, <laughs> now it's got a bit silly. Okay, we've all it was all right when other people were getting cancelled, but now we're, now it's gone a bit far. Actually, that's a hugely good point. Where were you when the rest of the world was getting? <laughs> Where were you when House of Cards wasn't getting its old ratings, JK? <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. So let's get into this. This is The Invisible Man from 2020, which I Sorry, think is a letter. A letter. <laughs> Who's it to? Oh, dear, everyone. <laughs> Stop cancelling us. <laughs> Like we spoke about bullying before, right? Like, so imagine if, like, imagine if a letter was sent to me, oh, guys, please stop being so mean. <laughs> it's, it's the oh. dumbest idea. Like, real facts about J.K. Rowling, and like you said before, she's created a body of work that most people will never touch in their lifetime. But what else has she done? <laughs> like, she created this like seven or eight book series, however many there are, and. You know, like it was you who made the point about Laurel resting. I was like, that's the time to just make sure a significant amount of the money you earn goes off to charity and social, you know, social betterings where you go circumnavigate Sinbad or whatever it is, Shag, you totally, get up to in your holidays. Buy a couple of different houses, you know, put, you know, create a college fund for your, all of your small relatives. You know, give yourself a small salary for the rest of your life, then give the rest of it away. Do it in secret, but subtly leak it to the press so everybody <laughs> yeah. kind of knows you're a good person, but just sort of leaves you alone. Just don't be like, it's like, don't be Rowling, don't be Bezos, don't be Zuckerberg. Like, just like, just shut the fuck up and don't like fucking give most of your money away and the world won't hate you. Like, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. I love, um, so, you know, you know, my best friend, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, he's always like, no, guys, I don't like to talk about it much, but I'm on the board of a few charities. 
<laughs> and he's like, look, people always ask me, like, why don't you tell more people about this? I'm like, oh, guys, I just like to keep it chill that I'm on all the boards of all these charities. The most important part of a charity is the board of directors. They're the ones doing the work. <laughs> they're, the ones, they're the ones getting their hands dirty and not yeah. taking any of the credit. Good you need these. strategic direction in charities. You really need to understand marketing and social media and stuff. Really yeah, they need more podcasts goes. about yeah, being on the board of a charity. <laughs> So there's okay, Lizzie so, Moss, changing the so, world. But keep in mind as well, considering that this film was released sort of like midst pandemic mm. and it still made 130 mil off a $7 million budget, I think that's pretty good. And I don't think it was really marketed very much because, again, The Invisible Man, everyone's like, no one's going to fucking see this. <laughs> <Fuck film."> this. <laughs> and yet, and yet it's done really well. Anyway, all right. So, all right. So trapped in a violent controlling relationship Christ. with wealthy optics engineer. Now this is very important because we're in San Francisco. So it's, you know, we're well outside of San Francisco, probably we're in Silicon Valley. So trapped in, you know, this wealthy optics engineer and businessman, Adrian Griffin, Cecilia Cass, mm. who is Lizzie Moss. Yes. It is a good name. Uh, one night drugs him with diazepam and escapes their home with help from her sister Emily. Now, oh. this is the this is the first scene of the film, and it's done super well. So basically, Sick. it starts it starts with her waking up in bed, making sure he's asleep, get getting rid of the evidence of the diazepam, getting dressed, getting out the house. The dog comes downstairs, and she's like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" But then she's like, "I can't leave you like this." Takes off its shock collar, which is just a brutal thing. I can't believe anybody would get, put a shock collar on a dog. Yeah, so she takes the so she takes the shock collar off the dog because like fuck, like the idea of putting a shock collar on a dog is just so awful. And it's it's you know, it is like one of these mansions, it's kinda of like Tony Stark's mansion in the Avengers, so it's quite remote. So she has to jump a fence and then run through bushland to eventually get to a road where she's picked up by her sister Emily. And at this point, her sister Emily's like, like, what why why did you ask me? Like, what's going on? And I think it's that classic thing where she hasn't actually admitted to anyone that she is in this like controlling relationship mm. until this moment where she's decided to escape. Meanwhile, we're in the car. We're seeing Cecilia next to the car window and we see Adrian run up like from the woods out of the darkness straight to the window and launch a fist straight through the window. There's glass everywhere. It crashes. They're screaming. Oh. Cecilia's like, drive, drive, drive. And they drive off. That's how the film begins. Oh, fuck. That's thrilling and terrifying. It's just like, it's thrilling. It's, it's like a 10, 15 minute scene. It's really well done. All right. So two weeks later, Cecilia is hiding out with her childhood friend, Detective James Lanier and his teenage daughter, Sydney. Two very important characters. Uh, and, you know, it's, you can kind of work out why uh, Lee Waddell has put a detective in the film as well as a helpless teenage girl. So at this point, her sister comes around and we, we assume she hasn't seen her sister for a while because Cecilia's really pissed off and she's like, why the fuck have you come around? He knows like you, he's going to follow you. Now he knows where I am. And she's like, he doesn't because he's dead. And Cecilia's like, what? And it turns out Adrian has seemingly committed suicide. <sighs> but the thing is, it's, it's all just a bit weird, right? So, and again, this is one of those things where I am going to ask your, you know, law expertise on this, even though it's American law. But turns out that Adrian has left her 
something in his will. But part of it is that she has to go to a face-to-face meeting with Adrian's lawyer, who's his, who's his brother, Tom, and be re- read out this like super manipulative note before she can access the money, which is kind of like harassment beyond the grave. And part of me is like, surely as like a lawyer, you'd be like, I'm not going to read this. This is fucked. Yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Like it just, it just doesn't. It's just not an expression of, so not to get to, in fact, we have talked will drafting on this podcast a little bit. It's just not really an expression of your testamentary intentions to sit down. In fact, Adrian Corbold, who I know listens to this podcast and is an accredited specialist, <laughs> wills and estates practitioner. <laughs> Adrian, can you let us know if you can do one of those? Like you can have the house, but only if you dance a jig and say fiddle dee dee, peachy McGee before you get it. I don't think you can. Well, there's another condition that he's put on this that's important. That's like, so I'm going to give you $5 million over the next four years. I'm going to put a hundred grand a month into your account. But the condition is you don't commit any crimes and you stay out of the law, which is a weird thing to put out because she's fine. But, but it's, it's done really well. The whole film's done well. Like they never over explain these things. The, the brother Tom's like, now obviously this comes with a classic rule that you can't commit any crimes or whatever, but that's how you, you know. Anyway, yeah. they're like, cool. I'm a lawyer and my brother works in Silicon Valley. Um, and so, Ivan, don't worry, I would never like. <laughs> oh, fuck, you I'd are. Tell Rob, like, I'd tell Rob this is fucked and it's fine. Don't worry about it, Ivan. <laughs> so anyway, so Cecilia's like, okay, I can finally move on. He's dead. I've got all this money. So she gifts her friend, um, what's her friend's name? Oh, James. So James gets a ladder, like, because he's like, you were painting the house and you needed a new ladder. Here's a ladder. And at first you're like, fucking hell, you just got a hundred grand a month. <laughs> you better than a ladder. But then it turns out it's this really fun way that she's hiding gifts around the place. So it, when the daughter goes up the ladder, she finds money to go to fashion school. So she can go to fashion school. In school and then she's also hidden a really expensive bottle well expensive looking bottle of champagne behind a couch like it's all really nice right okay anyway that night or like a night later on cecilia suspects another presence in the house it's it's pretty good so for example as she's like she's she's laying in bed and all of a sudden this like sheet the the sheet she's under is just pulled off and then when she stands up to pick it up she notices there's a footprint holding it in place. They do a very good job. And from this point in, I need to explain something. And again, I know we're not uh, too scary didn't watch, but uh, we, as we always say, we could learn a lot from that podcast. But also, you know, th- there's a thing that's missing in this Wikipedia synopsis. The coolest thing about this film is the way that uh, Lee Winnell uses space to scare us. So because there's this invisible man and we know it's like, we we don't know anything about this yet, but we just know something's going to happen. Often he'll just pan the camera around or point the camera in a direction where there's nothing in the house to just be like, is there someone there? Is someone going to move? It's it's really clever. And it's super scary. All right. So this thing happens. She freaks out. She's like, James, James, there's someone in the room. He comes in and Oh, by the way, this is like gaslighting the movie. Like the whole movie, James is like, he's just like 
and, and in a lot it's lovingly gaslighting they're just like you're just a bit crazy right now because <laughs> you know, like you've been through a lot but he's dead you can't let him get to you blah 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 it's you basically your fault yeah basically uh the next day during a job interview, she goes to show her work and she opens up a folder. It's like a, she's an architect. And this is the only time we ever hear she's an architect. And it's the only time we will hear she's an architect. But she goes for a job at an architecture firm and she opens up a folio to show the work and the folio is empty. And she's like, I knew there was work in here. I don't know what's happened. And then she gets up and she faints. Now, when she gets home and she's having a shower, she gets out of the shower and the doctor calls her up and they're like, look, we've got the results of your blood test. And I think you fainted because you had high levels of diazepam in your system. And she's like, well, I didn't take any diazepam. And they're like, cool, no judgment, but there was definitely high levels of diazepam in your system. She goes back into the bathroom and she finds the bottle of diazepam that she drugged him with, that she had lost since that night, has just been placed on the counter. As in, it oh, wasn't meant for it's just being placed on the counter. Ugh. So anyway, so she freaks out. So she arranges a meeting with the peach of the movie, Tom, uh, her brother, Adrian's brother. It's like, don't and... worry about it. It's, like, <laughs> it's fine. You're just crazy. So, but she brings her friend, James, the cop along. Have any insists... men ever been gaslighted in any of these horror films? Is it just the exclusive domain of women getting gaslit? I'd be keen, I'm sure there are, I'd be keen to see something. But I think you're right. Like, the trope is gaslighting women. Fucking hell. Get out of Spookanauts if you've got any examples. But yeah, so she is basically like, I, he, he's faked his own death. He's an optics engineer. And this is the other thing. It's like, he's like, he's an optics engineer. I, I think he's found a way to become invisible. And he's just trying to torment me. Now, the moment she goes... He's trying to become invisible. Everybody's like, you are, oh my gosh. And it's like, he's like, the, like they keep talking about how he's like the world's foremost optics engineer. It's not crazy to think that he's worked this out. As, as far as I know, San Francisco and Silicon Valley are like the most cutthroat, you know, tech places or one of the most cutthroat tech places in the world. It's like, if you're going to be a mansion owning optics person, chances are you can probably create invisibility and <laughs> probably like at least entertain the thought but no one does everyone's like you crazy classic crazy woman Tom, you know like let's just gaslight her just heaps more i love the idea of like a world famous optics engineer of like what optics are gonna engineer next <laughs> like, uh, shit you came out with some sick optics last year but oh man <laughs> so anyway they go back home and she's just like not dealing and the daughter, Sydney, that, you know, she's currently staying with is like, why don't we have like a, you know, a classic girl's night to keep, to cheer you up. And it, it, Cecilia just has a bit of a smile and she's like, I'd like that. Then at this point, they're quite close and out of nowhere, some invisible force just smacks, like basically punches the teenage girl, Sydney, to the ground. Sydney gets up and she's like, why the fuck did you hit me? Because it's like, I guess you'd assume, you'd just be like, well, I'm, I didn't see you hit me, but I assume you hit me. And Cecilia's like, I didn't hit you. And she's like, you did, you hit me. And then the dad comes in and she's like, what? He's like, what the fuck is going on? And, you know, after a day of gaslighting her, you know, now he's, she being crazy is proven right. Cause he's basically like, I've got to get my daughter out of here. You, you like basically get your stuff and go like, you've got to go. This is fucked. 
Um, so he leaves. Oh. She then is in the house and she's like, so, like she's so angry and she's like, we need, let, let, let's get you out of here. Like, you know, basically like, come on, like, come and find me. Like why? Well, she's why like screech, screech, screeching out to him. Come and find me. Yeah. I know you're here. She, you're fucked. Yeah, she go. She goes and grabs a knife from the block, and then she does something really cool where she goes into one of the rooms, puts coffee beans all over the ground, like See. grinded coffee beans all over the ground, and then just stays at the end with a knife, just waiting for him. Now, at that point, she has this thought where she's like, "Hang on, what if I called his phone?" So she calls his phone, and she hears it vibrating in the house. Sick. And she's like fucking out. And then she looks up and she realizes it's in the attic. So she goes up into the attic and this is an excruciatingly scary scene. She goes up into the attic and she finds, uh, she finds the phone. She finds her folio, the stuff from a folio or the architecture <sighs> stuff. Uh, she finds a knife in a Ziploc bag, which is a bit scary. And then she sees the phone gets a message and she looks at the phone and the phone just has a message that says surprise. And so she turns around and she can't see anything. So she goes back to the opening because obviously it's the, the attic. So there's like an opening down oh, shit. and because it's the attic, there's heaps of paint. So she just tips over one of the paint tins and in like one of the first incredibly scary scene, maybe, you know, centimeters away from her, the paint drops on a figure and basically illuminates a figure with white paint and she's like oh my god kicks the dude dude falls down and runs she's like fuck so she goes down the steps and sees that there's a trail of paint on the floor so follows it around to the kitchen where it stops and she noticed the sink is filled with paint so he's gone in and washed himself Now, he then starts just, he appears and starts basically just kicking the shit out of her. But not to kill her, just to fuck with her, basically. She ends up escaping and running out of the house and booking an Uber. And there's another tense moment where she gets in and the Uber's like, oh, how's your night been? And she's like, drive, 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 drive. Lock the doors, drive, 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 drive. And he's like, you're going to this place. It's a long way away. And she's just like, please drive. And the whole time you're like, he's in the car. We don't know if he's in the car, but he's not in the car. She books the Uber and she books the Uber to go to Adrian's old house where she used to live and where she escaped at the very beginning. Sick. Now, when she gets to his house, she notices the the pin still works, which is weird, but she doesn't question it. She goes in and she goes into his lab. And when she gets to his lab, she finds this like weird setup (laughs) that you would have seen from the, uh, from the, from the trailer. It's kind of like this frame with all these cameras and when she basically operates the frame, all of a sudden this suit appears that had been invisible the whole time. That's just covered in all these like little camera looking things. Mm-hmm. So essentially like slash screen. So essentially it looks like it's this thing that essentially is just projecting whatever is behind it on the front. Yeah. Sick. And like she- the James Bond invisible car from uh, diamond face, whatever it's called. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. So she finds this suit and she confirms her, expi- the, her suspicions. So at that point, invisible figure attacks her again. So she flees when she gets out. She calls her sister at some point. Now this, this wasn't in the Wikipedia, but it's kind of important because at some point before this, her sister's like, Hey, by the way, I'm never talking to you again. 
Uh, and she's like, why, what happened? And she's like, well, this email you sent me. And so scary invisible person has not only, you know, done crazy stuff at a house, but also opened her email account, kind of similar to what, what you've done to me in the past and <laughs> sent an email to her sister. That's like, you're suffocating me. I don't want to be, I don't want to have a sister anymore. I'm done with you, blah, blah, blah. And again, watching this with Adele, we were like major plot hole. If the sibling you were very close with out of the blue sent you a letter, sent you an email of all things, sent you an email and was basically like, you know, we're never talking again. We're done. You wouldn't just leave it and stew on it and just not mention it and be like, cool. Well, we're done. Fuck you then forever. You'd probably call them straight away and be like, what's the deal with this email? (laughs) Surely. And people's well, tone is so difficult. Like it's yeah, so it's difficult. <laughs> if I was to write, if I was to write an email from you, like to break up with Adele, it, like it couldn't be more than like three words long before she'd be like, "If I could shake them like this." Like <laughs> t- tone of people you know well is so transparently obvious. <laughs> your your email would start with like, "What's up, Adele? It's your boy." <laughs> <laughs> Perfect punctuation. Lots of lovely caps, which you like, you are unpredictable with stuff like that. So I'd be trying to be a little bit like, hey, babesy, shout out to Golden Child, Shag right here. I love that the email's coming from me, but you're still saying it's Shag. <laughs> it's the real Shag here. Oh, I can't believe I used to do that to you. Did, oh, I think I just sent lighthearted ones from your phone to... Like, you did, Alex. to work colleagues, which was... It was lucky I was a very... <laughs> I was a I was a three-day-a-week junior employee. They were never going to get rid of me. I was the cheapest, you know, work meal they had. Did I so, really do? What did I say? Was I like, where are oh, my friends anymore? <laughs> uh, no, you said... You said uh, something that denigrated their mum, and then you were like, lovetom.com. <laughs> I'm very sorry. Oh, Peach, it was Peach, Peach. It was so fine in the end, and it was, it was a, it was a classic. It was a Monopoly game mood changer. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, but anyway, but anyway. So, so that happened. Uh, But so, so when so a protagonist gets pranked. (laughs) So a protagonist gets pranked. So she calls her sister after she's on her way back from this place, and she's like, "Look, I know you hate me, but." I just need someone to believe me right now. Let's go somewhere that's like super crowded and I need to tell you something. So they go to this like fancy Chinese restaurant that's, I, nev- I never know if this is cool or not where, and by cool, I don't mean like cool as in, wow, that's cool as in like, is this okay? Yeah. Where it's basically set up like colonial times, like how I imagine like colonial India sort of look like. It's that sort of vibe. Yeah. Um, but with giant like neon Chinese characters and like, you know, proper traditional Chinese characters. I don't know. The whole thing, it was yeah. weird. But anyway, it's Yeah, it's that like question a of do we, do we celebrate this? Like, is this what we're celebrating? Are we saying this is good? <laughs> yeah. So they go to this restaurant and she's like, I have to tell you this thing. So I went to Adrian's house and I found this suit. And as soon as she says that, this is like maybe the most fucked up and chilling moment in the film. So as soon as she says that, the steak knife or a steak knife on the table just rises up between the two of them and they're sitting quite close. 
and then immediately just so quick that you almost miss it just slices the throat of the sister from end to end and then ends up in cecilia's hand and cecilia's shocked blood goes everywhere people around them start to notice and everybody's like you just you just killed your sister you just killed this woman cecilia's like he did it he did it blah 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 they pin it to the ground and it's it's just fucked up like it's yeah. it's so fucked up yeah. but also and i like i hate to use this term but an incredibly cool moment in a scary film like incredibly awesome moment like it was oh. just so well done do you, are you screaming or are you just mouth open like, oh my God, how can this happen? Uh, you didn't even have time. I was genuinely like, like, and I don't do, I'm usually the one that's like, <laughs> people finding things scary, huh? <laughs> and I was like, I was, I was blown away. Anyway, so she gets taken away. She's remanded to a mental hospital while she awaits ch- uh, trial. And it's like a suit, like it, it's not as bad as an 80s horror film mental hospital, but it's still pretty bad. While she's there, she's informed that she's pregnant and that the pregnancy happened pretty recently, which is doubly fucked because it's like, did he like rape her at some point? Oh no. Like, with all the, with all the drug that he'd been, he'd been causing her to take as well. But we, but we don't know. We don't know. Right. Um, and, and I should say, again, it doesn't say it in this Wikipedia, but earlier in the film, the reason why she escaped when she did was that she knew that he wanted to have a kid. And she knew that once he had a kid, like we were saying at the start, you don't give up being a, being a, being a parent. Oh, She'd never be able to get rid of him. So she was secretly taking birth control pills the whole time and managed to escape before she got pregnant. So that's kind of scary, right? At this point, she gets a visitor and it's Tom, which again is the, and I'm so sorry, Peach, this is your character because he takes a bit of a turn for the worse here. But he shows up. It's like, like me sending at tom.com. <laughs> hey, let me have a look at your phone. Don't worry. I'm just having a look. But he shows up and he's like, hey, I'm so sorry, but remember how we were giving you 100 grand a month? Well, you've just been charged, so you lose that. And I know that was going to a cherished family member, so I'm sorry that she's not going to go to fashion school anymore. But then like very, you know, quietly, he's basically like, but this can all go away if you decide to keep the child and go back to him. And at this point we realize that he's in on it with him. And you're just like, Oh fuck. Gosh, I always knew I was a bad bloke. And then it turns out as well that he'd been tampering with her birth control because there's nothing that he didn't know. Like he knew everything. Like he, he had tabs on everything. He was an optics. Like <laughs> Now Cecilia refuses, uh, but she does something really cool where she knocks like, cause basically he gives her this like thing to sign, but she mm. knocks it off the table. And while he's picking it up, she grabs one of the pens from his like lawyer's briefcase. Mm. Now that night, she goes into the shower and she makes a point at like, she gets the pen out. Like she's, she's hidden the pen. She gets it out. She gets the, like, it's like a proper like fountain pen. And so she removes the lid and she makes like a big show in the room to be like, you're never getting this baby. And like stabs right into her wrist. And it's just, again, it's a horrific scene. And at that moment, Adrian grabs her hand and is like, you're not killing my baby. She had done this as a ruse. 
she's like, gotcha, pulls the pen out of her wrist because she's fucking hardcore and like stabs him. And at this point, his suit starts to like fuck up. Like it's invisible, but every now and then it'll like show up. Yeah. Not only like parts of it, like it's an incredible effect, really scary, really well done. This is thrilling. This is thrilling. Like a security guard comes in and he's like, what the fuck did you do? He sees like now he can see the dude. So this dude now goes on a rampage through the hospital. She's following along. They keep being like, get down. And she's like, it's not me. He's behind you. And he is like shooting dudes in the knee. He's like punching people, like basically lays wake. But because of that, she's able to escape the hospital, right? And she ends up picking one of the guns and follows him out into the rain, but just can't find him anywhere. He eventually escapes um, in a car and she jumps in a car and starts following him. But in, they have this, they have, they basically have this altercation in the parking lot where he's like, okay, now that you fought back, uh, like this is all your fault. I'm now going to hurt. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to, you know, cause I want to keep this baby. I'm going to hurt people you love. And you know, that innocent girl didn't have to die, but she, now she's going to die because of you. Like everybody is gaslighting her like <gasps> hardcore. Right. So that's why when he escapes in this car, she goes and steals the car from someone. Cause right now she's just, she's just gone insanely hardcore and like is following him in the car. Now at this point she calls James, the dad, and she's like, get home. Sydney is about to be attacked. I can't tell you why James gets home and both he and Sydney start getting like the shit kicked out of them by this invisible force. Right. Like, mm. and it's gen- and it's kind of scary. Cause it's like, it's, it's just so, it'd be so confusing. Like you just, you just wouldn't really know where to go, where to look, where to land, what force to use. So both of them are sort of in harm's way. And at this point, one of the cooler moments in the film, Cecilia appears and to like to Sydney and to, to like, cause basically the dad, James has been knocked out. She appears, she tells Sydney to duck and she points a fire extinguisher. Now, like a little bit earlier in the film, there's a moment where Cecilia accidentally burns breakfast and they have to use a fire extinguisher. It's a good bit of foreshadowing to be like, there's a fire extinguisher in the house. Sick. So it's not weird, right? Check off so fire she, extinguisher. Love it. <laughs> so she grabs this fire extinguisher and just goes and basically makes him appear. Once he appears, she grabs a gun and shoots him like heaps of times. He falls on the ground. Tell me it turns out to be the brother or something sick. So she grabs, she opens, like she, she just tears off the mask and the brother Tom is there lying dead on the floor. Yes, Peach. It was me. I was the bad guy. So at this point, a SWAT team then, clearly she's gone to the cops. The cops know. They've all seen this. They've all seen this invisible dude. So she's now vindicated. This huge SWAT team shows up to the mansion to try and find, like, him or the suit or whatever. And basically they find him in the, like, in the basement locked up, like he's been locked up for, like, a couple of weeks, being like, help me, help me. My brother locked me up. I've, you know, I'm a victim. And Sick. his story is his brother is actually the one that's been controlling them the whole time. And he's like this innocent victim. Now, Cecilia disputes this, insisting the brothers must have shared a suit with Adrian sending Tom to the house, knowing what would happen. So she's basically like, no way. Like he's done this all. He's just realized that he could set his brother up, Tom, and then get himself out of this. Now that people have worked out who it is, this is his way of, you know, manipulating everybody and coming out of this, the good guy and still somehow remaining unscathed. 
So she then calls him and she's basically like, and he's like, wow, I'm so glad you called. Like, you know, I'm so sorry all of this happened. My brother's been, he basically goes, my brother's been controlling me this whole time. And there's this weird moment at the end where you're like, what is this? Like, is he the bad guy? Like, is he not the bad guy? Was the brother the bad guy the whole time? Anyway, so she ends up, she decides to go to his house wearing a wire to try and get him to confess. Yeah. So there's this final scene where she goes to the house. He's there and he's like, I'm so sorry. Every, like, you know, I ordered, like, I, I, I was nervous. I didn't know what food to get. So here's all this food. And he's basically like, look, I know we didn't have the perfect relationship, but I want us to start again. I want us to have this baby. And she's like, I can't start again without you without you i can't start on a lie you did all this didn't you you did this and he's like i don't know what and he just won't admit it right then he gets to a point where he just very overtly says the word surprise like out of like just as a way just just going back to when he sent that message message, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and there's another moment in the film as well when he says surprise so it becomes a thing that he says and she's like fuck you like you won't admit to it but you still try to fuck with me so anyway at this point she's like okay all right like let's do this i just need to go freshen up because she's like crying and he's like of course because like classic dude being like well women be crazy they gotta freshen up (laughs) while she's in the bathroom we cut to a camera view of the house that shows him at the table pick up a knife we cut to very close up him being like, why the fuck am I picking up a knife? Take it to his um, neck and just slash his neck and then fall to the ground. At that point, she comes out of the bathroom and she's like, oh, and this is all on camera. She's like, oh my God, what have you done? Blah, 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 blah. Goes out of, goes out of view of the camera while he's still sort of gurgling and can see. She's sitting out of view of the camera and opens her purse and shows that she stole the other invisibility suit. And so she had gone to the bathroom, put on the suit, cut his throat, come back, and then pretend it just like basically for finality. Now, as she's leaving, the, 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 uh, the childhood friend who was helping her with the wiretap was like, I thought you wanted to just get him to confess, but you wanted to kill him, didn't you? And she's basically like, I didn't kill him. You saw it on camera. He killed himself. And then he's like, yeah, you're right. He did just as like finality. It ends with her just leaving and walking away. And there's just this weird note to be like, maybe he didn't, which is even more fucked to gaslight the audience like that. But basically that's, that's the way the movie ends. That's the invisible man. What did you think? Oh, I loved it. And I retract all the mean things I said about Lee one L earlier. <laughs> 100%. That was gripping. That was gripping like a proper thriller with just a bit of spooks thrown in yeah man a bit of testamentary testamentary law thrown in as well that's exciting stuff oh man all right well look uh ghosts next week in the meantime i think we asked a number of questions as always follow us head head to instagram search spooko you'll find us there what's up Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?